Good morning, everyone. I'm Corey Summers, the lead pastor of Summerside Baptist Church. It's a real privilege to share a little bit of encouragement from God's Word today. Uh, we're continuing a series called Opportunity Knocks. And today we're going to ask the question, is it possible to be equipped? Is it possible to be ready for a crisis? And maybe even any crisis that comes your way. For example, is it possible to be ready for a financial crisis that's crippling, whether the stock market crashes or whether some really poor financial decisions or something that was not your fault at all? Is it possible to be ready for a health crisis that changes your whole life situation? And then for a lot of people, the question is, is it possible to be ready for your own death, which for many of us, though we don't like to think about it, is the ultimate crisis? And I'm not saying today that to be ready for any crisis means that you can know what the future is going to hold. None of us does. Life is incredibly uncertain, and we've learned that over the last couple of months. And I don't mean that somehow uh, you're somehow very stoic and untouchable, dispassionate, detached, because life's going to send trauma your way, and tragedy is going to shake you to the core. You can't help but feel and grieve and hurt but still, can you be ready? You know, I'm interested in survivalists. You know, those people who are ready for any crisis, it seems like, that comes their way. I remember when I was a kid, there was a guy, just as a little kid, that I remember driving his bicycle, riding his bicycle down our side road. His name was Murdoch. And the more I got to know about him, the more interested I was in him because he lived in a house in the woods. Now get this, no electricity, no running the water. He had to, the running water was him running over the hill to the well <laughs> to get his water. And he was just totally detached. I mean, before it was ever popular, he was totally off the grid. And I had no idea how he did that. Lived a really simple life. But one of the things that I thought as I got older, it's like, and, and learned about our world and possible dangers and how everything could fall apart is, I kept thinking he's probably the most ready for whatever's going to happen as any of us. So I always remember Murdoch when I think about somebody who would be prepared for what's to come. Question though to get back to today is your own life and the crises that could happen there. Can you do anything now to be better prepared for the uncertainties of the future? Can you do something now to be prepared for the uncertainties of the future? And here's where we come into a story, one of my favorites from the Old Testament. Three guys, uh, they were named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this is all found in the book of Daniel, chapter 3. And these three guys were crisis ready. I I'm not sure there was anything particularly special about them in terms of talent or background. So... If they were crisis ready, I'm saying that any of us can be crisis ready. Nothing special about them, but let's learn from them a little bit. Back in those days, Israel's greatest enemy was Babylon. And the king of Babylon was Nebuchadnezzar. And he was a tyrant. He was power hungry. He was a narcissist. He was insecure. He was a megalomaniac. And so he set up this humongous idol and this was just another element of his insecurity and his desire to get everybody to put their attention towards him. And he forced the whole land to bow down to this idol. 
And uh, in the midst of that, this idol that was probably perched on a pedestal, it was probably plated with gold, probably gold that was looted from the Jerusalem temple when he attacked uh, Israel, were three Jewish boys trapped in exile in a hostile foreign land. And when they were asked, demanded that they bowed to this idol, in an act of defiance, they said no. They would not recant their faith. They would not bow to this idol. And it was there that they demonstrated like a steel-like conviction. You see, the reason that they wouldn't bow to that idol was because of the very core of their faith was based on a series of commandments. You've heard of them, the Ten Commandments, right? What are the first and second commandments? Don't make a graven image and don't worship any other gods before me. And it was in the midst of remembering this heritage. They said, we cannot depart from it. And then they used that as a launching point for courage and trust. Let's take a look just for a moment at their statement of faith, which is found in Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Here's what they said when the king told them, why aren't you bowing down? Let's make this right. You, you bow down to this idol. Here's what they said. They said, O king, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. And that's an amazing statement of faith right there. But they go on in verse 18. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. That's an amazing statement. And uh, you might think that, oh, if this was like a fairy tale, that uh, the king would have respected their courage and he would have said, oh, okay, well, you know, because of your convictions, I'm going to let you go and respect those. But no, not at all. In fact, the punishment was to be thrown into a blazing furnace. And that's what the king did. It was a furnace that had an opening at the top and a portal at the side. You can look and see what was going on inside there. In fact, it was probably made for smelting the very metal and gold that was adorning the idol itself. And one of the statements says that the king said, I want it heated up as hot as it possibly could be, seven times hotter than normal. And I think that really um, that statement kind of speaks to the point that sometimes the furnace of your life and mine gets a lot hotter sometimes. Uh, for some of you, I think it feels like that these days, that there are times when the furnace of life is just blazing hot. And what are you going to do? In Daniel chapter 3, this, this idol and the furnace that they're thrown into stand for and remind us of suffering of adversity, of crises, of setbacks. And now, every crisis that we have, even if it's a financial crisis, even if it's a health crisis, I want to tell you that every single one of them becomes a faith crisis, a crisis of faith. No matter what happens, we always end up asking, God, why are you letting this happen to me? That's what the furnace looks like. And it brings up the question, Will followers of Jesus, will followers of God, will they be cushioned from crisis? And the answer to that one is no way. There is no immunity necklace, I'm telling you, for crisis in this life, whether you believe in God or whether you don't. 
But there is such a thing as readiness. There is such a thing as readiness. And these three friends, these three Jewish young men, they were ready for crisis. And I want to unpack why were they ready for crisis so we can learn from that too. But, but just as, as a little bit more evidence that our lives were never designed to be immune from pain, uh, let me read for you a passage from Isaiah chapter 43. And here's what it says. Isaiah 43 talks about what we go through. And it says, O Israel, the one who formed you says, don't be afraid. For I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. But look at this now. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. And, and I've tried to highlight those words. When you go through this, when you go through that, when you walk through that, it doesn't mean you don't walk through it. You have to walk through to the other side. And then I like what it says in 1 Peter chapter 4, where Peter just sort of calls reality when he says to people, he says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. See, it's just a part of reality. It's really interesting how those two passages talk about fires and furnaces, right? When we're looking at the story of, of Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they literally went through their furnace. But that leads me to the question, again, that we want to come back to. How do you get through crises? And the question I want to ask is, what are the qualities that you think that are going to get you through a crisis? What qualities get you through so that we can start developing now and be crisis ready? The first uh, quality is clear convictions. Clear convictions. Uh, the, the marvelous thing about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is uh, they weren't going to compromise their allegiance to God. They knew what they stood for. They knew where the line was, and they weren't going to go over it. And the Bible's full of people where that's true. Of Paul, when he stood before leaders, he wasn't going to compromise. He wasn't going to back down. Peter and John, when they stood before religious leaders, they're not going to back down. We're going to obey God and not people. And then I think about Jesus in the opening of his ministry, he demonstrated such clear conviction. It's, it's said in the opening stories of his ministry that he was taken into the wilderness and there he was tempted by the evil one. And these three humongous temptations. And he stood strong. He had clear convictions. What, what is your life's hope? And, and I want you to think about this for a moment. What is your life's hope? What are you living for? Because that's going to that's gonna result in a very critical, very critical uh, uh, decision about what your core convictions are. Now, some of you that you're living for a happy family, doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with that. Some of you, maybe you feel like you're living for a successful career. Uh, some of you maybe feel like you're living for good health. Or some of you just, I just want to be connected to people. And, you know, this whole time is really, really driving you to a difficult place. Paul said, and every follower of Jesus after him has said, that the purpose of my life is that my life would point to Jesus. And in fact, that's why, as a whole church, we declared that 
our why statement is the same thing, to lead people to Jesus so that they can have changed lives. We want to lead people and point people to Jesus. That's our purpose. That's our why. That's going to establish our clear convictions. And this really connects to something that Viktor Frankl, uh, who, who was that, that great philosopher and psychologist, uh, talked about that you can go through any what in life if you have a good enough why. And, and so I want to piggyback that by saying something that sort of came to me this week. I, I feel like you won't know what's worth dying for until you know what's worth living for. And that's what these, these three young men, they knew that they were going to stand on the commandments of God and they weren't going to sacrifice them for just to just temporarily get, temporarily get out of a jam. You, the same way, you won't know what's worth dying for until you really know what's living for. So what is at the center of your life? And, and I'm encouraging you today to think about putting Jesus there. I think Jesus is the very best, most solid center of your life. Jesus is worth living for. His life-giving spirit puts life inside of you and makes life worth living. His forgiving freedom. You know, when you invite Jesus to forgive you because he can, he, he bore every weight of sin and guilt and shame on the cross for you. He sets you free. That's worth living for. That makes life worth living. And then just the way of Jesus how, how he taught us to follow him. It's so life-giving. That's worth living for. Put that at the center of your life. Then you will have a clear conviction. Now, the second quality, I think, of, of people that are crisis-ready is this. It's total confidence. Total confidence. Clear conviction, but total confidence. And I think that you can probably guess what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about confidence in the power of God and confidence in, in the presence of God, that God's with us. And what that does is it results into a surrender to God. Some of the most inspiring examples of people who are ready for crisis and faced crisis, really the heart of it is this idea that if I give my life over to God in total surrender, in total trust, that I'm going to get back a better life. That I, my life is going to be multiplied if I just give it away to God. Some of the greatest examples of that are found in just from the lips of Jesus, where he's wrestling with his father in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's like a struggle of should I, can I move forward? Do I have the strength to do this? And he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then Jesus, when he's on the cross, some of Jesus' final words on the cross are, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This idea of releasing his life so that his Father can multiply it back to him. And those very same words are echoed by one of the first followers of Jesus, Stephen, as he's, he's going to be stoned for standing up for Jesus, he says the very same thing. Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's that release. That's the total confidence in God. It makes us crisis ready. Uh, the Bible's full of those kind of assurances. Like Job said, hey, listen, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And then Paul said something similar. He said, to, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Right? It's this idea of releasing my life into God's hands. 
and when you do that, you're going to find that God is a rescuing God. Now, uh, in this case, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, God rescued them from the furnace. Because if you keep on reading the story, you'll see that, that uh, the, the people who had that little portal to look in on the furnace where the boys were supposed to be burning, and what, what happened was they looked in and they were okay. And in fact, there weren't just three of them, there were four of them. There was a fourth person in the furnace. And then Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, stop the fire. Take these guys out again. Fish them out of there. And they were saved. They were rescued. Sometimes God does that. Sometimes God makes miracles and he, he rescues us from the fires of the crisis that we're in. That's a sometimes thing. But I love the always kind of things. And here's what God always does. Let me tell you, God always rescues us in the furnace. In other words, he's with us. Uh, you read that story and you'll see that those young men, they were not alone in their trial. They were not alone in the fire. And I think that very same thing is true of you in your crisis. Whenever you're there, be confident, totally confident in the knowledge that God's not going to leave you. God's not going to bail on you. God's not just going to pause saying, hey, well, I want to see how they can do that on their own. No, he's with us every step of the way. And in that way, you're rescued because you're not alone. The great God of the universe, he's there with you in the furnace. And then the second way, the second always that I love is that God will always rescue you before the furnace. So I, I, I wonder when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were really rescued, uh, you know what? You could say, oh, well, obviously when they were dragged out of the furnace and there, there was, you know, they weren't, there wasn't a scar on them. I think, though, I think the moment they were rescued was the moment when they put their trust in God, which was long before they ever got thrown in that furnace. That's when they were rescued. And I want to tell you, in your life, that's what's going to happen. If you release your life to God, if you say, Jesus, I want you to fill my life with your purpose and your forgiveness and your spirit, then what happens is that moment that you put your trust in Jesus, you are rescued. You're rescued. So when the crisis comes, hey, listen, you know, you can make that, that bold statement like these three guys did. It's like, I believe God can rescue me. He has the power to do it. But even if he doesn't, I'm good. I'm good. That's, isn't that the kind of trust and confidence that you want to have in God? You can have total confidence in God. And then the third quality is this. It's hard courage. I, I want to know, you know, where did their fears go? They must have had fear, right? These guys must have been just terribly afraid. And uh, <laughs> there's something, I don't know if somebody's ever said this before. Uh, I don't know if I'm ripping somebody off, but... Uh, I, I believe it, and it's this. Faith eats fear for breakfast. Uh, when we go through crisis, I'm telling you, fear is there. But I'm telling you, faith eats fear for breakfast. It did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Where did their fear go? Right? Like, shouldn't they have been just terrified? But it seems to be nowhere because their faith ate their fear. It's like saying, life, you can do what to me whatever you want to do, but I know where my hope is. 
I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what. I will not give up. I will live his way no matter what, and I'm going to get through this. Faith eats fear for breakfast. And that's what hard courage looks like. That's where hard courage comes from. So again, let's remember, how do we crisis ready? What are the qualities? It's clear convictions. It's total confidence. And it is hard courage. Are you feeling ready? I don't think anybody wants any of the crises to come. But I'll tell you, it makes a loads of difference. It's the world of difference, knowing that no matter what crisis does come, I'm ready because I got God. He's with me. He's going to get me through. And so just as we finish today, I want you to think about these four core convictions for your own life, that you'd be able to say this today uh, between you and God and those you love. First of all this, you are not alone. No matter what happens, can you say that? I am not alone. Just say that into your heart right now. No matter what happens, I am not alone. God is with me. The second is this, that God is strong enough for you. Would you say that in your heart right now? Would you just close your eyes where you are and say, God, I believe that you are strong enough for me no matter what. The third core conviction is this, that you're ready for anything. I know that sounds like a bold and maybe arrogant statement to make, but close your eyes and with the God of the universe on your side, the God who loves you and died for you on the cross, could you say, God, I believe that I'm ready for anything with you at my side. And then finally, this. Would you say to yourself today that getting through to the other side will be worth it? When the crisis comes, you know, maybe I'm going to be delivered in this or and I'm going to be able to tell my story because of it. Or maybe I'm not going to be delivered on, on this side, but I'm going to be delivered to the other side. We're going to get to spend forever with God home. You're going to have a better life either way. Better life either way. Let's be crisis ready. Let's pray. God, I thank you, thank you, thank you that you are a God who stands with us uh, and stands with us in the things that stand against us. God, whether it's a time of crisis that my friends who are listening right now are going through, or whether it's one that's right around the corner, God, I pray that they would have your hope as an anchor to their soul, that that would be the center of their life. God, I pray that that would result in such a confidence in you that nothing would shake the knowledge that you're with them through it all. And Lord, I pray for courage. Pray for courage in facing uh, the things that would fill our hearts with fear. Lord, be with your people in Jesus' name. Amen.